Do you have a fuller understanding of what the Columbus Toy Show was really like yet? As I mentioned in the previous episode, the show has been a special one for many years. In addition to consistently hosting great vendors and offering some rare and incredible Star Wars collectibles, the people I met at each event were some of the nicest and most connective in our collecting community. And I feel truly blessed that a number of them are now dear friends, and we've had our share of adventures together, at toy shows and beyond. And that's really part of the magic of a toy show, where a simple hello turns into a lifelong friendship, or a conversation about a common interest at someone's table about something like the Kenner or Hasbro toys, where the films and series from a galaxy far, far away can lead to meals together, or trips to other meetups and collecting weekends together. The Columbus Toy Show is always a pretty good barometer of the current state of our hobby. Dealers set up their wares across more than 440 tables, and thousands of collectors travel out to Columbus, Ohio to shop each show. And since I couldn't make it out to Columbus this spring, I wanted to speak with some of my friends who attended this past weekend's event. In part one, you and I had the chance to sit down with Vicki Bitter and to hear about her experiences and her pickups as a vintage collector and Ewoks fan. Toy store owner Clifton Boggs has been setting up at Columbus for years and shared his perspective from behind the tables as well as in front of them, perusing the show for Clone Wars and vintage items for his personal collection. Zach Curtis, also known as that vintage toy guy, is a collector and dealer whose tables are always packed with items from the 1960s to the 1990s. He gave us a pretty good idea of what was selling at the show, and what trends he noticed during the weekend. And West Virginia collector Sam Sams decided to set up for the first time at Columbus to sell off some of the Star Wars figures and memorabilia that no longer fit into his collection. And he did so with a buddy he met through the hobby. And their takes on the Columbus Toy Show were fascinating and insightful. Through them, I hope you gained a fuller perspective of both the Spring Toy Show and of toy shows overall. These conversations tend to reveal the pulse of our hobby, what people are buying, and if interest in Star Wars collectibles, and collectibles in general, are at a peak, a valley, or if the market is chugging along at a steady and welcomed pace. And at its heart, a conversation with a fellow collector gives us the opportunity to talk about the world we love, the one that allows us to explore the stories and memorabilia with which we grew up, and ones we're experiencing for the first time as adults. And even more so, a conversation about collecting simply allows us to connect with one another. And fortunately, another group of collectors wanted to share their Columbus memories with us as well. This is a series of conversations with more of our collector friends as they recap the finds, events, and trends of the Columbus Toy Show. This is part two of the Spring Columbus Toy Show series. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production.
our son to Tatooine and every planet in between. Star Wars, prototypes and production with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, Are you ready to dive a little deeper into the Columbus Toy Show? I have a great group of collectors lined up for this one, and I can't wait to hear about each of their overall experiences from the show. I'm also looking forward to finding out more about the items they picked up for themselves, and which collectibles are currently desirable and popular with attendees. And I'm curious to learn what insight they may have into some of the larger collecting trends they witnessed last weekend. So before we begin, let's get acquainted with our fellow collectors. Todd Chamberlain is a passionate Star Wars collector who has been selling memorabilia for more than 30 years. He runs the website Toy Chamber Collectibles and sets up at shows and conventions, offering the widest variety of Star Wars ephemera I've ever seen. And this was his first time attending Columbus. I met Sean Burrell this year through a mutual friend. Sam Sams, who recapped the Columbus show for us in the previous episode, split a few dealer tables with Sean, in the hopes of unloading some of the figures and items that no longer fit their respective collections. And I love that they did this as a team, and had the opportunity to experience the show together. Tony Kramer has been around toys all of his life. His parents have owned a toy and hobby shop in the Cincinnati area for decades and were buying Star Wars toys at clearance in the 1980s. And Tony now prints and produces his own Star Wars customs, with a focus on the figures and droids that weren't produced by Kenner or Hasbro. I met Tony during my first trip to the Columbus Toy Show in the fall of 2017, and he has been a vendor at each iteration and always has a healthy stock of Kenner merchandise, to my absolute delight. Andy Loney is a longtime Star Wars collector and dealer from Pennsylvania. I've experienced many toy trips with Andy and his sister, but it's been the time we spent during the invaluable collector's meetups that have been the most memorable. A friend and I recently joked that Andy's distinctive setup at a show is easy to spot from a long distance, and he always brings an impressive array of vintage collectibles. Okay, I'm going to go get Todd, and we'll hear about his experience in Ohio. In the meantime, pick out a cozy spot to settle in, grab your favorite beverage, and let's learn about the Columbus Toy Show weekend together. So, Todd, you just came back from the Columbus Toy Show. How was the overall experience for you? Uh, it was great. I had been looking forward to setting up at this show for 20 years. I've been hearing about it from uh, various people, but always lived either too far away to feel like it was practical or just the the specifics of scheduling just didn't work out. So um, I, I guess I would say I've long considered it to be reputationally one of the top shows uh, 
in the eastern U.S., really, uh, just in terms of a place where people find cool things and sellers feel like they were able to sell uh, cool things. And so uh, I would say just to, in some ways it was just a, a, not a bucket list kind of item, but it was a, on a checklist of like, yeah, I would really like to go to the Columbus show and uh, had a good time and uh, uh, sold things decently enough and uh, met up with both collectors that I've known for a long time and, and, and seen in person pretty regularly, but then also met up with some collectors who I've, have known in some way or another, but have not actually met in person before and got to meet them for the first time. So yeah, that was good. And you attended the show as not only a shopper, but also as a dealer and you had set up, um, how, for how long have you been a dealer of star Wars collectibles and toys? So, I mean, there are many ways, I guess, to parse that in terms of it's only been maybe uh, five years that actually I've been making my living full time uh, off of that, but I have I started setting up at toy shows to sell uh, extras from collections in the late 1980s, and have been pretty consistently. I mean, I would say in the from the 1989 through 1993 era, I probably would do a show once a month, uh, and then a little bit less frequently after that. Um, and then kind of more moved into doing eBay, uh, stuff. But again, always just as a collector who was either working or in grad school and kind of just selling to support my own, my own collection. But, uh, it's been a pretty continuous thing I've done at some level or another for, I don't know, 35 plus years or whatever. Yeah. Well, I know as a fellow collector, any time that I I see that you're going to be at a show, I get really excited. And um, I had spoken to a number of collectors who had visited your booth during the Columbus Toy Show weekend, and uh, and they were also really excited too. I think Vicky Bitter picked up a Bradley uh, timepiece oh, yeah. from you, yeah. and she was really excited. We were trying to figure out where you were able to amass such an amazing uh, collection of items, and we just decided that it was probably a time machine that you have, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, I wish. Uh, well, I mean, as I actually somewhat mentioned to Vicky, that in some ways the things that I have for sale at any given time, in part, that is based on things that I either was col- that I am collecting at that time, or that I collected heavily at some point in the past, and then just have not yet gotten rid of the duplicates. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm still, I still am very actively collecting. I. Um, I have, I'm not, I'm not selling things out from my collection, uh, really anymore. I am for the most part, uh, selling things that are duplicates, but like those, so those, those watches that she bought that, uh, the, the batch of watches that she got that watch from really are maybe like seven or eight years ago. I really heavily started pushing to finish off my own watch collection and ended up with, um, with duplicate pieces from buying, bits here and there. And I just have not yet gotten around to, uh, to clearing them out. So finally decided to take them to a, to a show. Yeah. And the stuff that you brought to this one, you know, anytime I see your table, it always tends to be stuff that, uh, is very relevant to the original trilogy world. Um, and even, you know, I guess, uh, stuff in the nineties as well too, but the focus seems to be on that original trilogy era. Um, what kind of stuff did you bring with you besides the watches? So I brought uh, 
a little bit of Sigma Ceramics, although I've largely sold through um, a big collection of that that I bought uh, a few years ago. Uh, just uh, comic books. Um, bought a big comic book collection a few months ago. You know, some I'm really pretty low in Kenner stuff right now. In some ways, that's is a hesitation of mine. Sometimes I'm doing a, sh- a toy show, knowing that for as much as I see interest in non toy items, non Kenner items, uh, getting a little bit stronger, that still, you know, that is the kind of the the bread and butter of what the majority of people are are looking for. And so, um, I only had literally two <laughs> carded figures, a few, uh, loose in box items. I did have a really, um, beautiful Jawa sand crawler, remote controlled sand crawler in the box. That was actually my downgrade, but the, the nicest open box sand crawler I've, I've ever owned. I had, it was in my own collection for 15 years and I finally, uh, upgraded to a, a sealed one uh, recently. So, um, but beyond that, like I said, I just, it is getting pretty hard to find even, you know, collections of loose figures and uh, loose vehicles in nice condition that uh, you can turn around. So I, I from my own, coll- I mean, it's somewhat follows, the tra- again, the trajectory of my own collecting that I, um, I collected the Kenner stuff hard really early on. There still are uh, some production Kenner pieces that I would uh, like for my own collection, but I uh, was fortunate to, you know, get the the bulk of the carded figures that I wanted years ago and the bulk of the uh, box things. And so then as I started collecting other areas, going back and doing school supplies or ceramics or whatever, realizing that there were also more opportunities from a, a resale perspective in buying some of those collections. Other dealers weren't wanting to bother with those things. And so, um, again, a lot, oftentimes the things that I am selling are somewhat a mirror of the things I'm collecting myself. I really, I'm pretty heavily still looking for vintage clothing items and I'm looking for vintage bedding items. And so, uh, those are, those are the searches I'm doing more. And so those are tend to be like when I if I'll find some things that I want for myself and I'll say, Oh, there, you know, there's a good deal on something. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, just a variety of books and, um, school supply items that I, that I brought along with me this time too. Were you able to find anything for yourself while you were shopping the show? I did not. I didn't have a lot of time even necessarily to walk around. The, I, I would say I walked the entire floor and I did get a little bit of a chance to, kind of peruse tables, but it, you know, that is the other side of collecting for a long time as it gets right, to be it's tough. tougher and tougher to find things that, uh, that fit those categories, um, that you're looking for. And I would say really that in even the non toy areas that in many ways, the things that I'm looking for, I would not necessarily expect to pay a lot. Um, you know, that most of the things I'm looking for, I would, I think the real market price is probably more, you know, in the, we're talking, you know, five, 10, 15, 25, you know, maybe $50 items. Because uh, they're items out of the spotlight, right? They're at, yeah, they're outside the spotlight, but that, but the fact is that from a supply perspective, I mean, they really are pretty limited. And so, I mean, there are, you know, whereas you're say your, your typical drawing board greeting card from 1978, you know, might only sell for, 
five dollars. I mean, there are you know a handful of uh, of pieces that I might pay twenty five or thirty dollars for, or maybe even a little bit more for if I had a chance to buy them. Um, but they just I've looked pretty hard for them, and I don't I don't tend to see them. But I also feel like in general, there's only a, a few other people that I know of that are uh, really, you know, you know, Duncan and I are both looking for a lot of the same things, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So when uh, when people were coming up to your table and looking to buy stuff, what were the Star Wars items that they were honing in on? Uh, I say I had a pretty, I had strong interest in, I'd say, you know, Sigma picture frames, ceramic picture frames from 1982. Uh, always tend to sell uh, the at least a few of the placemats from that line they have kind of like you know more of a comic style artwork on them um, they're they're nice because they're useful I think again I think people like things that are um, the, the, the the ceramic stuff you know they're it's like okay they're actually gonna use it as a picture frame or they're, they're they'll buy a a 3po tray because they really they're gonna put it on their desk for you know for change or they're gonna I mean, people really use the placemats because they've, you know, they're pretty sturdy and you can, uh, they're a neat vintage item, but they're not very expensive and you can, uh, can use it. So, um, you know, this is what I say. The sand crawler got a lot of interest. I mean, not necessarily from a buying perspective, but I think it's you know, definitely something that is legitimately you know, fairly hard to find. And so it, that was part of the reason I brought it even was I, I didn't necessarily know that I would sell it. I, I did end up selling it uh, in the end, but you know, it was definitely something that people, I think it, it drives, drew some attention from people because they don't see them very often. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Beyond that, I, I can't remember things that really stood out as um, kind of, I, th- I think more it's, I think more it's the overall effect of, uh, it, when people going to my my booth, I feel like the comment I get more often is like, "Wow, you're you you have stuff that's different than what the other dealers have." Um, because again, people that are bringing most people that are bringing vintage Star Wars are bringing vintage Kenner Star Wars, um, and then if they have other items, it tends to be newer uh, pieces. Whereas uh, I I buy and sell some newer things too, but especially when I go to a show that's not what I'm going to focus on bringing. I'm going to focus on bringing things that I think um, are more unique, I guess. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it, it is nice to have stuff that people can still use. That's of the vintage era. And at the same time, stuff that maybe people don't usually see all the time or have never seen before as well, too. Um, I know you certainly made Vicky's day when, when she was able to pick up the watch, cause that was something that she really needed to finish off her collection. Um, how was the, how was the, so setup is on Saturday because the show is Sunday. Uh, did you wind up doing anything Saturday night uh, or were you too tired and just went back to your room? Yeah. So uh, setup is, um, was it from four to nine, I guess. And um, setup went pretty smoothly. I think I've kind of refined that routine uh, and actually felt like, yeah, I was actually ready to set up or ready for the show by the time I left at the end of the time. And then a group of us got together and went out to a, a tiki bar um, and, yeah, hung out for a couple hours. Uh, I'm not a much of a drinker, but just so I just had some, uh, what I have, 
some kind of pork probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah, just hung out for a couple hours talking about various things. People. That's always nice. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the special parts of these, these toy show weekends is where you can actually, you know, all go out to eat and and just spend some time outside of the show as well as inside of the show. Um, So this was your first time going would you do Columbus again, either as a shopper or as a dealer? Um, I would definitely do it as a, a dealer, uh, kind of schedule dependent. Um, like I, I say, I already know going at, for the next Columbus show that I have something else I'm doing the following weekend. And I don't think that I can probably have the time to prepare for the, uh, for the later event and still be able to, um, do feel like I want to do Columbus. So I'm, I'm not going to do the next one, but I would certainly, um, uh, sign up to do it again. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm glad it was a good time for you. Um, I would certainly love to, uh, to attend the same time that you're, you're dealing there. Cause I, I love going through your stuff and always finding, you know, some sort of trinket or, or goodie that, um, that I just had either never seen before or, or would like to add to my own vintage collection. Um, well, I'm glad the show turned out to be a good one for you though, Todd. And, um, it sounds like it was a nice experience overall for the weekend. Uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to picking up this year for yourself? Oh boy. Um, if I could find that last, uh, <laughs> um, Kenner, uh, laser battle, electronic laser battle, uh, store display I need that would be be something but I'm not really holding my breath for that one okay well I'll help keep an eye out for you just in case and uh, I hope you do come away with it before 2023 ends all right thanks all right Todd it was so good talking to you and I look forward to spending time with you in person at some point this year I think in the very near future all right great thank you So, Tony, as a veteran of the Columbus Toy Show experience, uh, what was your experience like this time? Um, I don't know if you're a gamer or not. The Columbus Toy Show has turned into something that reminds me of an old 1980s role-playing game called Tales of the Floating Vagabond. In there, the player is on this cube in the middle of nowhere and all of existence is subject to what is pulled from a trans-dimensional crane machine. It just kind of randomly reaches out into the universe and pulls out something or someone that you cannot predict. That is what the toy show circuit in Ohio has been this year. Um... This Columbus show was unexpected and different, as was the previous one and the previous Sharonville show. Okay, um, first of all, that's the that's the strangest explanation of a toy show <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> how how was this one different? So, for perspective. A year ago, the same show. 
I took a fair number of Power of the Force things, rare things, unique things. And after the show, I bought a new family car. This show, I managed to clear about half a trash bag of Pizza Hut Land Before Time puppets, some broken Dino Riders, and animation cells. On the way home, I was able to get some groceries. <laughs> Very different in scale. Okay, and, um, and what, what kind of stuff do you normally bring to the Columbus show? So, I tend to bring a fair number of vintage carded figures, a lot of Kenner overstock, including baggies and mailers, um, as well as a variety of loose figures and ships anywhere from complete to not. So basically a collector of almost any level can find something at my spot. And for example, this year or this show, I brought complete loose battle wagon, skiffs, power of the force figures, both carded and loose. Um, but basically most of the gambit that almost any person looking for Star Wars collectibles would want to pick up on. What I ended up selling at this show was very different than what I normally sell. Um, while we do bring predominantly Star Wars, not everything is. The vast majority financially of what we sold this show ended up being Dino Riders, not Star Wars. Of the Star Wars that we did sell, an awful lot of it en ended up being original animation cells instead of toys. And you're um, somebody, um, every time I've, I, I met you originally at the Columbus Toy Show in 2017, and then I've seen you at every one I've attended since, and the types of items you bring are very heavily Kenner-focused. You have bagged figures... In, you know, sealed in their original bags. You have carded Kenner figures. You have accessories for sale, play sets and vehicles. Um, so it, it really is Kenner heavy. And you're saying that this time people were overlooking the Star Wars items and were going toward things from the 90s. And even, as you said, the, the, <laughs> the dinosaurs uh, from Land Before Time, the, the, um, the promotional items from Pizza Hut. Yeah, the, the Pizza Hut promotionals, as well as Tyco Dino Riders. Um, and actually, for this show, we did bring some Hasbro as well. And nobody, nobody was even looking at it. What I noticed is for probably the first two hours of the show, so that's through all the early buyers and an hour into the general public, I don't think we had a single sale. Nothing during setup the night before and nothing until two hours into the show. And that seemed to be very common amongst the other vendors that I had ample time to visit with because public just, they were walking by, glancing over to tables, but not walking up to tables and looking at things at them. It was almost as if the crowd that we had was 
largely families and couples that were out for an afternoon stroll and to look at something cool and different as opposed to buy at a toy show. And I could see where this would be different for you because um, I've known from your experiences in the past, you have, I mean, there was a time where you sold out everything uh, <laughs> during the first few hours of setup. And then also you, you've always done very well during setup and you've always done very well in the morning, even before, you know, um, the early birds come in and then during the early bird attendee hour. So, um, so I could see where this is really kind of a, a different show for you. Um, you know, and you, you had mentioned too, that, um, it looked like there were families and couples and people that were just perusing the tables, but not necessarily buying. Um, do you have any idea why? Quite frankly, I think it's because we have, a couple of large competing toy show circuits that happen to be overlapping an awful lot on their schedules. And I think something has to happen for one or the other to shift for both of them to continue on the scale that they are. Okay. And the show you're referring to then is the Xenia toy show, which happened this past weekend. Yes. Okay. Um, and from what I've heard, I mean, I haven't attended Xenia yet. Um, I know that Columbus is a fantastic show and I know people love Xenia. So, um, so, so you think that depending on which show either comes first or maybe some are just one is taking share from another. I do believe that having back to back or the same weekend is stretching the available purchasing and shopping resources a little bit too thin. And for example, this Columbus show, just to kind of put in perspective the sort of stuff that was there this time, there was a loose Vlix available for sale. There were um, multiple super rare carded figures like droids, Boba Fett's, um, People weren't paying any attention to that stuff, which is odd. Those are the things that should be the talk of the show, and that's just not what anybody's attention was on. What was the price range of items that people were targeting? Oh, mostly under $100. Um, an awful lot of basically $10 and less items, which we usually sell a lot of small items as well. But I think, I think we only had a couple of sales that were more of a typical toy show sale. So do you think that, unusual. Do you think that speaks to kind of the, the the larger picture now of collectors where maybe there, there are fewer speculators, there are people that are looking to finish runs but are, are really looking to spend $15, $25 to get an item rather than going for the big ticketed ones like a Boba Fett or like a Vlix or even just you know simple carded figures you know, like you normally have at your, at your table? I kind of got the feel that people were overspent. Um, 
as in the last couple of years, they've put so much money out just buying almost rapidly that it's caught up to them. So there's a lot of people like, yeah, okay, I'm still missing this yak face. I'm still missing that figure and this figure or, oh, isn't that ship cool? I never picked one up, but I can't afford it now. And I think what we're seeing is a side effect of people overextending themselves rather exuberantly for a couple years. And people just simply don't have as much spending money right now. Inflation is catching everyone. Do you see this as a trend that will continue for the rest of the year? For the rest of the year, perhaps. Um, Very long term, probably not. As in, I think it'll bounce back, but this year is rough on a lot of people. Uh, 2023 has been, there's been a lot more bumps so far this calendar year than I think everybody was hoping. Were you able to pick up anything for yourself while you were there? Absolutely. (laughs) It's not very often a large show. You see other large dealers out of desperation advertising 25% off everything they have. So I was, I actually came home um, with more stock than I went with. Oh, wow. I was able to pick up a fair number of loose, reasonable Power of the Force droids and Ewoks figures, as well as some other items that I can usually turn around pretty quickly. What surprised me is none of those items actually sold at this show. So, for example, I usually take an ad ad or two. I took a couple. I came home with twice as many. Um, (laughs) that's not how that's supposed to work (laughs) it's a rare show that i go to that i come home with more imperial gunners and a-wing pilots than i went (laughs) well Um, will will i see you at the next columbus show in the fall oh yeah we're we have no plans to not do it so we will probably continue to do the cts shows at least for the foreseeable future Okay, good. And I look forward to heading out there as well, too, um, you know, and to see you and to see all of our friends at, at the Columbus Show. As I always said, it's one of my favorites. That's where you and I first met, and, uh, and that's where our friendship developed. So, uh, Tony, thank you so much for taking time today to, uh, to speak with me. Um, I, it's, it's, been, it's been too long, so I, I look forward to the next time we're in the same room together, and maybe we can share a meal together. It has been too long. <laughs> Have have a good one, David. I'll see you in Columbus. So, Sean, what was your experience like at the Columbus Toy Show? So this was my first experience as a vendor. Um, I had been going for years to the Columbus Toy Show as, as well as you know other toy shows locally. Uh, the way I got into it was Sam, Sam Sam's contacted me one day and said he got two tables and he didn't have enough to fill it and wondered if I had some stuff to put on the table. And initially I thought, well, I don't really have enough. I'm kind of keeping what I have. And then I got to looking through some totes and I said, well, I can bear to get rid of some overflow, some duplicates that I don't need. 
And then in the meantime, I came across a mixed lot, uh, a lot of bigger Star Wars vehicles, but a lot of items from the early 90s. So I picked up on that. As I started going through it, I realized how much I really had. And I had to call Sam back and say, Sam, I think we're going to need a third table, which, oh, wow. which I'm glad we got the third table and we really needed probably a little more than that. I think both of our experience being at our first toy show. Now, I know Sam's set up with his West Virginia club at a couple of places, but not necessarily for a toy show. But I think all in all, it came together okay for us kind of putting it together on the fly, building some tables and some shelves for some of the displays. I think all that part came out really well. So you were basically taking extras and items that you had in your collection that you no longer wanted? Is that how you were setting this up? I did. That's what I was initially going to take. And then I found this mixed lot of about five totes of miscellaneous toys that I ended up sifting and sorting through the month prior to the show and had all these other items to go ahead and put out on the table. Okay. And then for the stuff that you had for sale with Sam, um, what did you find was selling the best? What were people most interested in, especially when it came to Star Wars? What surprised me the most was the items that people did not have interest in was the smaller items, uh, graded figures, loose figures. For me, being a Star Wars collector, those are the first things I looked for, and it seemed like those are the things that were really getting passed over. Now, I don't know if there were other vendors that had larger selections of the loose figures, for example, but they completely got passed by on our table. Now, a lot of newer Star Wars stuff that Sam had went over very well, and then for me, it was a lot of the larger vehicles sold really well. The larger items that I did sell, I ended up selling two Y-Wings, a Rebel Troop Transport, sold an ADAT, I sold a TIE Interceptor, I sold a Slave One, I sold a Java playset. Um, so all of those went over very well. I think I had them priced relatively reasonable. I, I had them there. I wanted to sell those. They're part of the mixed lot that I did pick up a month earlier. So I think I priced them slightly below market. I did have people take a look at them, walk around and come back. To me, it told me I had them priced better than the other dealers did. Other than that, everything else that really sold well was the 90s items. I had a Bucky O'Hare, Thundercats, Darkwing Duck, Crash Test Dummies, Terminator, Turtles, things of that nature. And those were all kind of the 5 to $15 range, and those went over extremely well. It's, it's funny. Most of the people that I've spoken to about the Columbus show have said that the items in the 25 and under range tend to have sold the best and have done, uh, you know, that, that seemed to be where the business was happening as far as the show. Um, and I think people were walking away with smaller items, smaller ticketed items that they needed for their, their collections, you know, certain pieces. Um, so it's interesting to hear you, uh, you know, echo that, that sentiment as well. Um, was there anything that you found at the show that you had picked up for yourself? Surprisingly enough, I only purchased a couple items. I found a really good deal on a 77 R5 D4. And then I found a couple of uh, transformers that I were looking for. They were actually the uh, cassettes that go with the Soundwave transformer. I've started doing a few one-offs outside of Star Wars. I don't want to become a G.I. Joe or a transformer or a Thundercat collector, but I kind of want to have one item from each of these different toy groups. 
Did you notice any specific trends that were happening at this particular show? I wouldn't say any trends that were abnormal, but again, this was my first time being a vendor, being on that side of a table. So when I get to a toy show, I I have, uh, I do three laps. I do a quick hot lap, see if anything jumps out to me. I'll do a slower lap and then I'll do a third lap where I just go through, browse all the tables, look under the tables, things of that nature. But being on the other side of the table was complete different experience. It was a very busy show. I would say probably at least for four hours, there were new people coming in the door. We rarely saw the same person twice come around. And I think through a majority of the day, we saw relatively new people coming by all day long. Uh, It was nice for the people that were coming back two times. I had people come back two or three times that looked at things. They walked away and they came back. Then they walked away again and came back again. So they were most likely doing what you do. For <laughs> and what we all part, do. Yes. I, yeah, I, I think so. But again, like I said, I had stuff and I wanted to sell it. I was in right on the bigger toy lot that I purchased. So it didn't hurt me to take five or ten bucks off of a vehicle. I sold a tie interceptor for $85 working complete. Uh, I sold a uh, working Y-Wing with the exception of the bomb for $95. So I wanted to price my stuff to sell, but I was in it at the right point. I'm not going to hold out for 5 or 10 or 15 or $20. I brought the stuff there to move it. And I think your approach, first of all, your approach in, in shopping the show is, is very similar to an approach that I take as well, too, where I do multiple laps. The first one's a quicker one. The second one is a much slower one. And then the third one is, is really to make sure that I didn't miss anything. But then your approach to selling, I, I think, fits more of where collectors and shoppers are today when they're going to a toy show, where... They want to get something for their collection, but they want to get something at a price that they're comfortable with and where they feel like they're getting a solid deal on it. And so I think the fact that you had priced your stuff at a reasonable uh, price and you know, um, also having items that are desirable to people like the vintage Star Wars vehicles and play sets, uh, I, I think you know, I'd been hearing that a lot of the larger items weren't selling, so it's nice to know that yours did. And I I think they did because of of the way that you sold them and the way that you priced them. Yeah, and I sold every big item that I took to the show. And I think being a collector and being the shopper is what helped me set myself up for success at the show to get rid of the larger items. You can't sell them online because shipping is almost impossible. At Rebel Troop Transport, it's got to cost $25, $30 to ship one of those. And on average, they're about a $100 vehicle. So no one really wants to spend $125, $130 to get one shipped to them. Yeah, and I think that's the type of stuff that people would like to pick up at a show where they don't have to pay for shipping. Uh, they usually come you know, in their own cars so they can just bring it home with them. And if you have it for the right price, which it sounds like you did, uh, you're going to make a person very happy and you're also going to reap the rewards of, of you know, keeping the prices fair. Um, do you have a, is there a favorite moment from the, from the weekend that stuck out to you? Oh, I don't know. There was a favorite moment. I really enjoyed myself at the show. I don't know I'll ever do one again. I don't know I'll have enough inventory to go ahead and set up at a show. I think I'll just continue being a a shopper at the shows. 
it was just a very nice experience. Uh, the promoters, I've known them for years personally. Uh, one of the promoters, I've James Ford, I've purchased from him for 25 years. I have items in my collection from 25 years ago. I have items that I've sent out for grading that I've purchased from James years ago. And since they've been in my collection and haven't filtered through um, the hobby, filtered through the different collectors, they were on really good shape and I got really nice grades on them. I just think I'd say probably the funnest part for me was just the entire experience. Um, you were also in very good company uh, with with your buddy Sam Sams, who's just a wonderful guy. And so to be able to really kind of do your first show together like this, where you're setting up as friends, you know, at the same table and uh, and then exploring the show together, I think had to make it really special, right? I, I think it did. Uh, the funny thing was, I just bumped into Sam online and one of the Facebook groups kind of chatted back and forth. And one year we met up at the Columbus Toy Show. And that's where I first met Sam in person was the Columbus Show. I knew he was coming up from West Virginia. I live here in Columbus. And we just made it a plan to meet early and walk around. And we became buddy since. We chat on a regular basis. We hung out at the uh, last ICCC convention and just really good time. A lot of good conversations. We bounce stuff off each other. Uh, we both are integrating loose figures. So we have a lot of really good conversations with uh, the grading, with the hobby in general, and just to, to become friends. And one thing I could say uh, over the past couple of years with the Facebook groups, I have become really good friends with a lot of good people from the groups. I, Outside of what we're talking about today, I have four other people that I chat with absolutely every day that I became personal friends with from the group and from the hobby itself. And it's nice to also, when you have the opportunity to be able to see these people in person and to do what you love, which is, you know, hunting for, for star Wars collectibles and, you know, action figures together. So you said you collect, um, loose figures. Um, is there like a particular figure that you're looking for or a particular item in general that you're looking to get by the end of the year? Uh, I'd say the only thing I really need, I've had a complete run of vintage Star Wars, but over the past year, my goal was to do a complete graded run. So I've been kind of cherry picking for my collection to send in what I feel would be the best figures. So I just got a couple that I need to replenish my shelf. And I've got four more that I'm looking for for a complete graded run, which seems to be almost impossible to find. Okay, and which ones in particular, if you don't mind sharing? And they're they're not expensive figures. I need a R2D2, a C3PO, I need a Yak Face, and a Big Head Han. Those are the last four that I'm down to. I just found okay. a Lando Calrissian, which I've looked for months, and I could not find one that I thought was decent enough to send for grading. And then about two weeks ago, I met a local guy who happened to have one. Well, I hope you're able to add at least one of those to your collection for this year. Um, I think that's it's always admirable to do uh, a graded run because I think there's something special in that too, where you're looking not just to get all of the figures, but to get them in a certain condition um, and in a certain way. And the the loose cases, you know, make for a really nice display as well too. So, um, of those, is there one that you're targeting right now? Not really. I just want to do a complete loose created run with uh, all the main characters. And then eventually I want to work into the major variants, Lando with teeth, Lando without, uh, big head Han, small head Han, white hair Obi-Wan, gray hair Obi-Wan, things of that nature. 
Okay. Do you have a, um, is there a piece for you that's sort of a dream piece that you'd like to get? Uh, not really. I would say the, the dream pieces are the very first two that I sent in as a child. My first two purchases uh, was a Chewbacca and a Han Solo. They were my two absolute favorite figures. I should say, I'm sorry, they were my two absolutely favorite characters. So those are the first two that I bought as a child. So when I started my graded run, I sent in a Chewbacca and a Han Solo and those were the very first two figures that I have back. And I think those are the two that are most near and dear to my heart because they are my two favorite characters. Oh, I love that. I think that's great. And it's, there's something about the action figures, you know, again, it's, it's tied to our childhoods and just, you know, growing up with them, but there is something so special about them. And I love that they still resonate with us really decades after we first were introduced to them. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that it resonates with you as well, too. Um, I wish you all the best for, for this coming year. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day, and I have a feeling it might be at the next Columbus Toy Show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for having, uh, or I should say, thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to participate. Uh, it was uh, wonderful for me, and I uh, look forward to maybe having a second op- <laughs> having a second opportunity to uh, come on the show. I think you did very well this time. I'd love to have you on back. So, uh, and maybe, you know what, maybe next time too, we can get you and Sam together. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, that, that'd be great. Having, having each other side by side. So, uh, all right. All right. Well, thank you again. You have a wonderful day. Andy, it's nice to talk to you. Uh, how are you doing in sunny Florida? I'm doing great. Um, it's pretty nice down here. I'm actually sitting outside right now. It's not too hot. And actually, I think it's cold, cooler outside than it is inside at the convention center. Really? Okay. And you're setting yeah. up, what's the name of the show? It's a Megacon. It's okay. a big kind of mix of anime, sci-fi, toys, comics, Eight billion pops. You know? <laughs> Have you done the show before? Yes, yes, I've done it on and off for the last twenty years, probably. Oh, very nice. Okay, and then yeah. you just came back from the Columbus Toy Show. Um, what was your experience like in Ohio? It was okay. Um, Columbus is, you know, a great show. It's big. It's lots of vintage toys. Um, it's. It, I did fine sales wise. I didn't buy too much. Um, it started very slow. Um, it was weird. I didn't have my first sale till nine forty-five in the morning, and the show actually opened to early buyers at eight, and then the regular people got in nine. But I am in the back, kind of in the back of the room, so it might take a while for people to get to me. Um, I, could, I could see that when I go into the show, I always start usually start at the front and then kind of work my way toward the back. So yeah, that makes sense. Right. I think that's most people's, you know, that's what they do. Now, um, a lot of times when vendors are setting up during setup the day before, there are a number of sales. Did you have any sales then or was that? Um, I did. I didn't, I don't think I had too many. I don't remember. Maybe I did a couple hundred dollars. Okay. Um, it, I don't know if there were as many 
buyers there this time before the door, you know, the day before for setup, but that's fine. You know, I don't ever expect to make a bunch of sales before the doors open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of what kind of stuff do you usually bring to a show like Columbus? Uh normally my normal vintage Star Wars stuff and other vintage toys, but I'll bring also modern Star Wars. Um actually I actually have bring a little bit of comic books and I do okay with that stuff. This is it's not just Columbus, it's more in general, just your general toy shows. You know, not big cons like celebration or like this mega con I'm at. Those they're a little different. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. Um, did you notice, were there any specific items that people were buying while you were at Columbus? Um, I don't recall, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. A lot of times it can be a blur. I completely understand. Well, it, it, well the, we, the one weird thing that I didn't sell was actually vintage Star Wars stuff. And I actually told somebody, I, was, I, ha- I mean, I have some loose Power of the Force stuff, you know, vintage Power of the Force figures, complete. And in a case with other loose figures, not graded, just nice stuff. And I don't think I opened that case all day once. It was very strange. Okay. Believe it or not, I've, I've heard that from a few vendors. And um, it, it sounds like Star Wars was not as popular as it's been at that show in the past. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think in general, from my point of view, you see going to lots of shows that um, Star Wars is in a lull right now. You know, granted, there might be, you know, high end stuff going for crazy money still, but for the most part, it's a little soft right now. And I've seen that, you know, I went to, um, to ZoloCon as well, and it didn't seem like Star Wars stuff was moving. The show was very popular. There were a lot of people that were buying stuff, but it, it seemed to be less about Star Wars and more about many other lines at this point. Yeah. A, a lot toy shows in general seem to be going, uh, the buyers, the, I would say like the age of the people, you know, they're young, they're younger than they used to be. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're probably the same age as the buyers have always been, but I'm just getting older. So, um, <laughs> sure. but, uh, you know, so they're more after, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, Masters of the Universe, that kind of stuff. Um, Power Rangers, even, um, Thundercats, uh, weird stuff like Mad Ball stuff, you know, odd oddball stuff the so when you were there the people that you were speaking to that were coming up to your booth um did you get a, a sense of what they were looking for specifically or or kind of what the general mood was from the show um i think the general mood was good most people were having a good time i do think there's a lot of people it was it was fairly well attended maybe not the the most i've seen at columbus but fairly well um and I think a lot of people just weren't buying stuff. I don't know. I mean, I did fine sales-wise, and I know other dealers did fine, but it wasn't like gangbusters. But I think it's also, there was this, the pandemic, there was a p- pandemic boom, is what I call it. You know, and all the all collectibles went crazy, basically, you know, through the roof. And right after the pandemic, you know, after things started to open back up and toy shows started to come back, the toy shows were gangbusters, you know, really good. And now we're going back to like going back to normal. And but it doesn't it feels like something's wrong, but it's not. It's just normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I likened it in the past to it being like this wild, crazy party that went on for, you know, like a week, a house party that goes on for a week. Right. And then everyone now is sort of 
that that hangover has set in and uh and everyone's kind of picking themselves off the floor and and trying to trying to kind of get back to normal life so i i think we're seeing a little bit of that in our hobby right now um and especially with star wars collectibles because they were so popular so white hot and i think you know the price has really pulled a lot of people away from from spending because they were just oh i agree yeah yeah Yeah, they're definitely the prices deterred you know after a while people are like i can't do this anymore and then they just bow out and stop buying stuff Mm-hmm. Were there any trends, any larger trends that you noticed about collecting Star Wars or hobby during the course of the weekend? That's a hard question, dude. I know. That's what I do. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that because I, mean, I feel like so many things were trending, you know, like wrestling stuff is so popular um pokemon is is still kind of white hot and you were uh, seeing this at the columbus show sure okay. yeah i sold i sold i i i put out a, a pokemon card that was 90 dollars, and it sold in like 10 minutes a 90 dollars card and it wasn't graded or anything it's just nothing real special but i was i saw the price online and that's how i priced it at and boom gone and it's funny um, that that would sell in 10 minutes and yet other stuff, as you said, that were in your display cases, people weren't even asking about them. Right. Right. That stuff sells there too. They, you know, Pokemon and I had lots of people looking at, I imagine the gathering cards too. I don't think I sold many of those, but definitely people were looking at them. And Pokemon's weird because you have, you know, six year olds and you got, you know, 30 somethings. You know, and you get your thirty-somethings coming up to you and saying, "Do you have any vintage Pokemon stuff?" And you're like, "Oh my god, how's that stuff vintage now?" <laughs> <laughs> it's but true. It is. That is a shocker. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, in the U.S., it's like started in '99, so stuff's 24 years old now. It's insane. I know. Yeah, it's it's almost at the point of like the early Power of the Force two stuff. That's where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that um, stuff's gotten even that kind of stuff's gotten very nostalgic for people. And even in episode one stuff too, I've done really well with, you know, cheap, but it sells. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I've seen more, more of an interest in it, especially, you know, I think, you know, we, once we hit the 20th anniversary, it seemed like uh, interest started to rise again. Um, and I, it seems like there's this trend now of, of we're kind of leaning toward like the late eighties collectibles into the late nineties collectibles. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's definitely not as, crazy as like star wars or some other what we would call vintage like gi joe um but it's popular do you think that what you saw at columbus is a seasonal trend is it something that's a little longer you know that you think will play Um, out over the course of the next year it, it definitely could be seasonal but um i think one thing that really is affecting columbus and plenty of the other shows is how many shows there are. There's, I mean, Columbus is twice a year. I'm talking mainly Ohio shows. Right. Um, just because there's two Columbuses a year, the Cincinnati toy shows once a year, the greater Ohio toy show, I think that's what it's called. The one in Xenia is twice a year. That's in like basically in between Cincinnati and Columbus, I think, which right. isn't far. Um, toy Ohio, I think is three times a year. That's more on the Eastern side of Ohio. Power PowerCon that's once a year in in Columbus. Um, I think 
kind of all these shows are just feeding off each other. And like, that's, I don't feel like that's really sustainable. I think you're right. And, and I think for a while it was because there was this, as you said, a huge boom in all collectibles. And I think right. as that's starting to die out and people are maybe, um, you know, you're getting fewer attendees or even fewer buyers, um, you know, we still have the same amount of shows and that that's going to be a little more difficult, you know, spreading out that, that attendance base or that interest over the course of, of shows constantly. Right. I agree. And I think it's kind of like these other shows pop up and get hot, you know, and it takes away from the shows like Columbus or Cincinnati that have been around for a while or, you know, and, um, like the Xenia show, I think the first one they had after the pandemic, like everybody said it was unbelievable. Like I'm talking to other dealers, they said sales were unbelievable. And that just made that show just go crazy. So Xenia, so now like all of a sudden Xenia becomes like this, like, oh my God, we got to go to Xenia. That's the show. <laughs> and I, I think, I think to- Toy Hio, I've never been to it. Um, I think it's a little smaller and it's, it's tough to get tables there because everybody just rebuys their tables. I think that they've gotten, they've, made their own little niche of, you know, they always have wrestling stars and do really well with that kind of stuff. They get a good crowd supposedly. And I don't know. I feel like Columbus is Columbus and Cincinnati are, you know, faltering a little, but it's not their fault. It's not the promoter's fault. It's just a weird uh, thing going on right now, especially with Ohio. <laughs> you yeah, even you have like, you even have like a toy Palooza, which is in Pittsburgh, which is, you know, right by Ohio. That's twice a year, you know? So I don't know. I think you bring up a really good point and one that I really hadn't thought about um, as strongly uh, where we have uh, fewer people that are collecting now or fewer people that are able to afford items and you have still, you know, a growing number of shows that are happening. um, And a lot of them are happening more than once a year as well too. So um, that, that does create a little bit of collector fatigue when you put those two together. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely when they're like back-to-back weekends. And even I think the last Cincinnati and Xenia show, like back in October, they're the same weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Um, That doesn't help either show. Well, so you're at Megacon in in, uh, Florida now. Um, How do you think that show will be? Uh, I think it'll be pretty good because the last one, it exploded like when it, like attendance wise. Um, and I did, I did not make the last one because it was the weekend before celebration. And since I set up at celebration and drove to celebration, I just couldn't do both shows. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, okay. What kind of stuff but, uh, are you bringing to Megacon? I mean, I have my, nor- we have like this little section here. That's like vintage toy section. It's just, it's only like four or five dealers. Um, so I brought vintage Star Wars and I brought modern Star Wars, but I definitely brought more comic books, more Pokemon stuff, um, more like Muppet stuff. If I had anime stuff, I'd bring it because this is really a anime centric convention. Sure. Um, brought some. There's also a good sci-fi aspect to this show, so I brought like Star Trek stuff. Um, just a bit, a pretty big mix, but uh. I expect to sell a lot of Pokemon Pokemon stuff. That'll be the main thing. <laughs> well, sure. But the nice thing is you've kind of, you know, you, you've hedged your bets, you know, by bringing in everything from vintage to modern and then everything around, you know, the last, what, 40 years, 50 years? Yeah, basically. yeah, 40 probably. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, Andy, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I really appreciate, uh, you know, you talking to me from Megacon. Uh, it's very nice that you did so. Uh, I'm glad you're able to be a, a part of this episode too and to give us an idea of what your experience at Columbus was like. Um, so if you could wrap up your experience in maybe a sentence or two, how would you, how would you describe it? Um, my experience is still good with the Columbus show. It's still a fantastic show, like size wise, the variety is really good. I think it's still really reasonable to get in the door. Um, my sales still were fine, even though it started really slow. It was really weird. Um, then later on it got, it picked up and it was weird because it picked up late in the day, which is unusual. Um, usually you might get a big rush, you know, from 10 to noon and then it starts to slow down. But this was actually later. Um, it's still, it was good. I'll, I'll keep on doing the show. Fantastic. Um, uh, I'm glad to hear that because I've, I've told many people this and I've said it on the podcast. It is one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show of all time, um, just because of, of the, the experience that I've had every time I've driven out to Ohio, which is a pretty far drive. And um, yeah. I've, I've always managed to get great uh, items from my collection from it, you know, from prototypes to production stuff, vintage, True. modern, yeah. Kenner, Hasbro. Um, but uh, but I've always had a great experience and I've met so many people. I would say I met more people at the Columbus show that I've become friends with over the years than any other show I've ever attended. I could definitely see that. There's definitely a lot of people that I've met there too. Yeah. And then you know, I keep going to it and seeing friends over and over. It's It's great. It's a special thing and it's nice to know that you'll be going back. I'm definitely going back and, you know, we all really want the best for it because we just absolutely love it to pieces. So, um, right. And thank you again, really, for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a fantastic show this coming weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed part two of our look at the Columbus Toy Show. My thanks to Sean Burrell, Vicki Bitter, Clifton Boggs, Todd Chamberlain, Zach Curtis, Tony Kramer, Andy Loney, and Sam Sams for taking the time to share their Columbus experiences with us and for giving us a better understanding of what the show was like, as well as the collecting trends they gleaned from it. If you've enjoyed this series, please take a quick minute to leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. Traveling out to Columbus over the years, I was fortunate to meet so many people I call friends today, and they kindly introduced me to collectors they knew while we were at the show. And through this podcast, you have the opportunity to connect someone to a community of wonderful collectors and Star Wars fans. It's really as simple as sharing an episode with a friend. They'll get to know others through conversational episodes like these, and it might be the thing that convinces them to attend a future toy show or a meetup. Together, we can grow the community. It is a vast group filled with creative and passionate people, and we have the power to grow it and to shape it into something memorable and special. Leaving a review will certainly help me to get the word out about the podcast, but sharing an episode with a friend may put them on a path neither of us could ever imagine. It happened to me. 
From listening to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast, I learned about the local club meetups and conventions like Celebration. And a few years later, I was heading out to Celebration, joining the Empire State Collector's Club, and becoming friends with many of our fellow collectors who appeared on that very podcast. And I'm so thankful for the nudge it gave me to take a risk and to become part of something that has become a meaningful part of my life. And coming up, we have another Toy Show recap. In the next episode, we'll talk to a few collectors about the Great Ohio Toy Show that happened this weekend in Xenia, Ohio. There's been quite a buzz about it, and those who attended and vended have had some really interesting things to say about their time in Xenia. And I can't wait to have you join us for another round of Collector Conversations on Star Wars, Prototypes, and Production.